This is the Faith Ventures Podcast, a project of the Libertarian Christian Institute, telling stories of Christians doing business for the glory of God. If you appreciate this program, support the nonprofit work of LCI by donating at libertarianchristians.com slash donate. And if you'd like to share your story, contact us at podcast at libertarianchristians.com. Welcome back to Faith Ventures. I'm Dr. Norman Horn, and today I have joining me the eminent James Burkhart. I'm so glad to have him on the show today. James is a serial entrepreneur who has worked all over the media industry and has helped a lot of Christian artists be successful in the past and is doing all sorts of things now to continue his ministry in so many different ways. He's the managing partner of Burkhart Media Group, and he even runs a nonprofit called Orphan Heart International. So James, welcome to the show. I'm glad to have you on. Well, it's my pleasure to be here, Norman. So as we always like to do in Faith Ventures, this is all about understanding better the careers that people have developed and the types of things that they've done in the context of their faith. So I want to start off by kind of let's go over some of those career details for you. Where did you kind of start off at? And then how did you become the James Burkhardt of today? Well, it started when I was about five years old. (laughs) I was very spiritually sensitive. That's when I really began to feel the pull of the Lord into my life was really literally at five years old. And as a result of that, I was seeking God and he was seeking me. And when I got to college, it was kind of a no-brainer that I wanted to have an impact. So I began running a Christian book table in the university center right next to the communists and the Krishnas and, uh, (laughs) you know, all sorts of other political groups and got into some very interesting discussions. Let me put it that way. I bet. But I also was able to work with Campus Crusade on campus, made arrangements my sophomore year to get a donation of 10,000 Bibles from Dr. Kenneth Taylor who kind of put together the Living Bible, and it was present at the Tyndale House Publishers. And this was in conjunction with a major evangelistic outreach on campus. But the caveat was I could do it, but I had to work with their marketing research department and track Bible reading for the next two years, which I did. And later that led to a job offer from Tyndale House to take over one of their struggling Christian bookstores and see what I could do with it. So I did and turned it around and made it a success and had a brief five-year but very successful career in Christian book selling in the mid-70s to 1980. And at one point, I had written an expansion plan for all the Tyndale bookstores in the city of Chicago and picked out 22 locations, and this expansion plan was presented to the board of directors at Tyndale House. And while they liked the plan, they decided that they had an offer they couldn't refuse from Zondervan Publishers out of Grand Rapids. So they decided to sell the Christian bookstores that they owned. But the cool thing was that of all the locations I picked, all but two ended up within a block of having a Christian bookstore at that intersection. Ah. So that was pretty cool. So that's how I kind of got started and you know, graduated college in four years after switching to a different major and minor midway through my junior year 
because my father wanted me to get an accounting and finance degree. And I was pretty well through that midway through my junior year when I decided that that really wasn't the career path I wanted to go. I was much more people-oriented, and got bored by numbers, but I switched over to marketing and advertising and managed to get graduated in 18 months once I made the change. And that required a lot of extra hard work. And the benefit I got out of that was a strong work ethic that has served me very, very well because I had to take course overloads for three semesters. I had to take all sorts of summer school stuff, but I made it. But I was certainly studying a lot longer and not partying at all (laughs) while I was doing that. I graduated on a Saturday. I moved on a Sunday and started work in the Tyndale Bookshop on Monday in May of 76. Not much of a break. (laughs) Nope, not much of a break. But that was kind of my life back then. Multi-interests. I was still playing guitar in church or bass in church, still singing. I had formed a duo with another singer, and we were kind of like a Christian version of Simon Garfunkel, because he really did have a voice like Garfunkel and was quite good. Mm -hmm. So I was a pretty busy guy and very much involved in introducing the Christian bookstores in Chicago to contemporary Christian music or Jesus music as it was known back then because of the Jesus movement that was going on. As a result, less than eight months in the bookstore business, I was awarded the Great Lakes Regional Dealer of the Year by Warding Incorporated out of Waco, Texas, which at Hmm. the time was probably the largest provider of Christian books and records in the country. It was quite an honor. And I also had the responsibility of doing advertising for the group of stores. And the first promotion I did, I got two phone calls from two of the other store managers. And they said, this is incredible. We got people lined up around the block to get in here. This has never happened. And it's just like, well, when you've had some really good training in copywriting, When I was in college, I was educated by Dr. John McNamara, who for a while was president of M&M Mars. And John was overseeing the marketing when they came out with the melt in your mouth, not in your hands ad campaign that a gentleman named Rosser Reeves wrote the copy for. And I was able to study a lot of Rosser Reeves' creative approach to copywriting and learned a lot as a result of that. There were several other big names in the ad business that I studied very hard. And that was the benefit of going to night classes. You had people who worked in the city of Chicago in either marketing or advertising for some of the big agencies and or advertisers. And these guys would come out and teach classes at night for, I think, two hours or two and a half hours to classes work. So I made it a point to learn what was really happening in the business world and in the field of marketing and advertising as I could. And since I had to take course overloads anyway, which was usually 
somewhere between six and seven courses a semester. Going to night classes a couple of nights a week made it so that I could take a normal course load during the day and manage the apartment building and work for a local series of newspapers as an ad salesman <laughs> between <laughs> everything else I was doing. So, like I said, I had a very good work ethic. Yeah, no joke. That the Lord allowed me, and it, it's just served me well. I, to me, it's second nature. You know, some people look at me like I'm trying to show them up, and it's like, no, I'm not. This is who I am. This is how I was made. And it's always kind of set me apart. And I look back on the last two years of college when I made that switch and the kind of discipline I had to apply and all that focused, laser-focused attention in order just to get through it. Right. And incidentally, my grade point average went from like a B minus to an A minus once I made the switch. So that was, <laughs> that was kind of proof in the pudding that I made the right decision. Yeah. I was so interested and knowledgeable than just like a fish to water, you know, with the other. Yeah. It's really interesting how, I mean, there's so many interesting lessons to kind of draw from all of what you said thus far kind of working our way back for a sec, I have some just some observations and some things that I kind of want to draw out maybe a little more. And then because I want to eventually I want you to kind of fast forward a little bit and get to sure. you know some of the other stuff that I know that some of the really very exciting things that you've done and are continuing to do. But I, I think some neat highlights from what you're saying, I like some things I hadn't thought about and just observed on you. Like number one, like it's interesting how when you set forth a major challenge for yourself, such as making this distinct switch and challenging yourself with a rather significant workload, how you can often rise to that challenge so distinctly. And it's pretty interesting to kind of hear you describe that because I sort of identify with that too, in that it's often when you have some of the biggest challenges that you set in front of yourself where you have to rise to the occasion or you have to quit. You know, you don't really have an in-between. It's either go hard or go home, period. And so I get that and to hear that from you is, is interesting. I also note, like, I hadn't ever thought about the fact that, you know, night classes like that actually might bring out some very interesting people, like different people than who would normally be out during the day, you know, your, your typical college classes like that. So you kind of saying that is like, huh, that's, that's really interesting. I hadn't really thought about that before. But, you know, it's so, but I would also suggest is that you should be looking wherever you are toward, you know, kind of, Look for look for opportunities to make the most of wherever you find yourself in terms of community, which is is just I mean again just re it just emphasizes that particular point. It's not saying that well everybody should go take night classes, but rather you observed and then you took advantage of an opportunity to learn and to learn more than what you would have just in any given situation. Now you can probably do that in any given you know class day or night, but you just found an interesting way. To take advantage of that. I, I think that's really, you know, admirable, something that people can kind of, you know, seize upon per, potentially down the line. Yeah, well, it helps to know a bit about the professors that you're going to yeah, entrust sure. your education to before you sign up for their class. <laughs> that's true. And that's I, true. Know, I, I, I looked <laughs> to see, you know, who was who and what was what, because I just didn't you know, I wanted to be challenged, but I wanted to walk away ready to make it in the big city of Chicago in the advertising world. Yeah. Well, and that's so neat too, because like I think that it that so much of 
you know, these types of industries are somewhat obtuse to us that we just don't, you know, for me at least, being kind of the uh, more in the engineering world, for instance, like some of those things are very like, you know, closed veil sort of stuff. You don't hear as much about that. And especially as it pertains to the way in which, you know, like you were, you were there for when the kind of rise of Christian music and, and kind of, you know, however, you know, for good or for ill, whatever we may think of that, especially like there's some, there's some oddities in that business nowadays, but you were there from the beginning. And I think that's really interesting. And I, uh, I kind of want to, you know, transition a little bit here into, you know, you saw this rise of an industry and some, what were some of the things that you, you know, observed and learned from the good, the bad, the ugly, you know, in the Christian music industry and that sort of stuff in kind of the 80s and 90s there? Well, that's, uh, that's an interesting question because there's a part of me that was glad to bring Christian music into the bookstores, into the mid, in, in the mid-70s like I did. And then I was glad to bring praise music intertwined with contemporary Christian music as a radio mm. station format. And once I was offered a job in LA at a, at a big commercial Christian radio station. And while mm. I was in LA, I worked with, uh, I was good friends with Mike Trout, who went on to be the co-host of Focus on the Family's radio broadcast with Dr. James Dobson. Sure. And the radio station KBRT in Los Angeles was actually one of the catalysts for Dr. Dobson to start his radio show. Yeah. Because he used to come on and, and be interviewed by our news director, Rich Bueller, quite <laughs> a bit. And when Rich didn't do it, Trout did it. Hmm. But they did a call-in talk show over the lunch hour where they'd have a theologian or someone like Dr. Dobson on it. And, you know, the audience could participate and call in with solutions to some of the problems that other people might have or questions that Dr. Dobson would raise, you know, just asking, you know, the body of Christ what they thought about this or how they would solve that or what they thought was important for the family. And it was a really good example to me of how radio can be interactive, where mm -hmm. the host can be more of the facilitator. The, the guest or the call-in the call person could be asking for ministry, and someone from the audience could call in and deliver the, the solution or the ministry to that person. <laughs> That happened quite frequently. It was just neat how I saw that God could use Christian radio and the interactivity of radio to really bless people. And mm -hmm. uh, that made an indelible mark on me. And as we went from L.A. back to Chicago, when I was in Los Angeles, I was a salesperson again, an account executive my territory was Orange County, which, you know, had Disneyland. They were one of my clients when they did their contemporary Christian music nights. Sure. Lottsbury Farm, a lot of the more progressive Christian bookstores in the country, Maranatha Village being one of them. You know, a, a lot of those places 
Bob Seaman's Christian Jewelry was one of my accounts. <laughs> and working with, you know, just a whole ton of people like that, it was very good. And at the time, I was going to Calvary Chapel in Yorba Linda that was being led by John Wimber as the lead pastor. And he very shortly thereafter began the vineyard. And yeah. I've had a lot of good men of God speak into my life. And John Wimber was one of them. Huh. The year I was in LA, he was my pastor. It was amazing because the sales manager for Maranatha Music, a guy named Ted Blamar, who's not with us any longer, but he took me aside once I got out there because I had to wait for my house to sell back in Illinois before my wife, young son, could join me. So I was batching it. He took me aside like the second weekend I was there and said, hey, my wife and I want to take you to church Sunday and then we'll go out to brunch. And that was my first exposure to John Wimber. And man, his teaching was really spot on as far as I was concerned because I was very mm. much into the, the word of God and, and you know, Leonard Ravenhill and Keith Green and a lot of those people that were calling for a, a deeper discipleship, just like there's a call for the ecclesia in, in the American church today to rise up and speak out against all manner of evil and not compromise in their life with what the Bible says. You know, it, it, even though, you know, that was what, 1980 was 44 years ago. It's the thing, you know, the, <laughs> the circle has gone around again and we're kind yeah. of in the same situation, even though in the eighties it was, you know, the Jesus movement was waning and, and the, the rise of the evangelical church and the evangelical was, was happening. There was lots of very good things going on, but still, there was the counterculture with the hippies and if it feels good, do it and all sorts <laughs> of other compromising kind of slogans, you know, that right. were apparent and also part of the drug culture that was uh, growing yeah. up at that point. But anyway, Wimber had a big impact on me and it was when I was driving back from LA to the Chicago area and the Lord just kind of spoke to me and said, hey, I want you to take praise music and integrate it with a good kind of top 40 format. And mm -hmm. the music is there and the praise music is there. And I want you to apply, I believe it's Psalm 22, you know, where it says God inhabits the praises of his people. And that way, my spirit will go out over the radio waves hmm. and it, it'll be something new. And this is what I want you to do when you get to Chicago, because I was hired once again to take over a struggling enterprise seems to be my forte, but uh, <laughs> it was, it was a good thing that I moved and it was one of the first experiences where I really felt the Bible guiding me to go against what I wanted and do what would be best 
for my wife and family. You've got, I mean, you've done just a tremendous amount of stuff in this media business. And now you're even, you know, you, you've been an entrepreneur now for some time. Right. Uh, and you're starting up a major, you know, kind of project here uh, yeah. that's, that's taking a different approach in many respects toward Christian broadcasting. And so I, right. I hope you'll describe kind of like what was your, you know, your motivation for starting it? What is it exactly? And, oh. you know, what, what can people do to kind of observe how it's, how it's building up? Right. Well, I jumped back into radio. I had gotten all the courses done and had a degree in music business and Pro Tools production. Jumped into radio. I ended up getting hired by Salem Media. And during the course of working in talk radio, the Lord began to tell me to put together a format called Spirit and Truth Radio, SNT Radio, and to take the last 40 years of music which goes all the way back to the Jesus revolution or the, the Jesus movement and put together this music because no one in 2007 was even thinking about music before Y2K, before 2000. The 80s, the 70s, the 80s, and the 90s were like passe. We, we don't care. But I knew there was a whole bunch of people, baby boomers and, and others, kids of baby boomers that had to listen to it with their parents growing up, mm. that were still interested in it. So I put together this format, S&T Radio, and then my wife comes to me one day about three months into it, and I was, I w I was doing it as a syndicated radio broadcast. She said, I think the Lord told me last night to tell you to put it on the internet. So that's what I did. 2008, I jumped into it and, and created this thing where I could go 24, seven, 365 days with a huge swatch of music and mm -hmm. it was streaming. And I was one of the first to actually put together a full-time internet-only radio station, which is still on the air now. You go to sntradio.com, and you'll be able to hear 45 years of the greatest Christian music, even though we still say it's playing four decades. <laughs> and that has got me involved in streaming for the last 15 years, going on 16 now. And about three years ago, I was very much interested in, in, in video. I've always been interested in video ever since I was producing TV commercials going back into the 70s and 80s, 90s. Because the, when I worked with Tyndale House and the radio stations, we had, we had TV commercials. And then when I formed my first marketing company that turned into the telemarketing company, we would produce TV commercials and infomercials for different products and businesses and that sort of thing. So about three years ago, I got an idea for something called SNTV. And I've always been a news junkie. I've always been involved in journalism. When it was time to go to college, I 
could have gone to the University of Missouri in Columbia, which is one of the top journalism schools in the country. I could have gone to, to Berkeley or a couple of other music colleges, or I could go to a, a good business school, which I did. I decided that music was going to be my hobby. And, you know, as Duke Ellickson said, music is my mistress. Yeah. Uh, and so I pursued business full time because I figured I could make a good living at it. And if I could figure out a way to use journalism, which is either PR or hard news or something like that, I would do it. So to come straight to the point, SNTV is going to be a streaming news, truth, and values platform where independent podcasters can become part of a portal that will be promoted and act like a network and also have a positive magazine kind of approach like Charles Corral used to do on the CBS Saturday morning or CBS Sunday morning where they present the news, but it's in a brighter kind of positive way. And I know this is going back old school kind of stuff compared to what they're doing now with, with their woke radical political agendas on the mainstream media. But this is going to be something that I think people around the world will be interested to tie in because one of the benefits of being president of an international education and training and awareness, building orphan care and teaching people what orphans go through as victims of an orphaned heart or an orphan spirit. I've come into contact with people all over the world and have gotten much more culturally in tune with the real heart of people. They want to experience love. They want to experience acceptance. They want to experience empowerment where they have the ability to lead a productive life, but lead a life that is built on freedom. And there's still a lot of places in the world where people aren't free to think. They're told what to do, what kind of jobs to have, all that kind of stuff. It's total control. And there's this push right now where there's going to be more attempts at that. And I want to put together this streaming portal where a lot of independent people who have good vision and good heart and good morals and good ethics could be given a platform to speak. The intellectual battle that's going on, the information, the disinformation, the misinformation from mainstream media, it, it's time that you put this thing together. So I'm letting the cat out of the bag with this much detail, Norm, on Faith Ventures, because SNTV truly is a faith venture. So you're well, the I scoop. certainly appreciate that. And uh, <laughs> you got I, the scoop. Yeah, we got the scoop. <laughs> you heard it here first, folks. Well, we are thankful for that you would trust us and trust us with that. And, uh, and I hope that, you know, no matter what, whether, you know, we've talked a little bit about what, you know, LCI might be able to, to do with you. And 
And no matter what happens, we do wish you great success with that. And, you know, for, thank for, you. The, for the glory of the kingdom. And so we're, we're thankful. You know, it's, it is amazing to kind of hear through, you know, uh, so much of your story, just the way in which God prepares us to do, you know, more and more things for his kingdom through, through, throughout our lives, you know, and who knows, who knows where it all leads. I mean, you know, in a similar fashion, like what I, what I do as a scientist, you know, the things I'm doing now could weren't possible except for the things that I've done in my past. And so the Lord uses our past in order to, to accomplish bigger and better things. And I think that's a good lesson for those of us, you know, if those folks who are starting off, you know, that there are opportunities that we have and we might think, oh, well, I need to be doing the best, the best thing in my life now. And that's it. As if that, you know, oh, accomplish one thing now and then the rest of your life is coasting or something like that. And that's not really the case. I, I think you're a great example of a person who, you know, has, has taken all of their experiences, kept building, kept working, kept the faith, and then, you know, ultimately are doing, you know, useful things for the kingdom all throughout life. I'm thankful for that. Thank you for sharing all of this with us. It's my pleasure. And all the glory goes to God. Amen. Well, we've spent a good bit of time here talking today. And I'm, again, just thankful that you would join us to let us know and just walk us through your story, which is just fascinating. And I appreciate you being so doing that. We'll probably do some selective bit for our podcast, but we will make sure that the full interview is posted on YouTube for certain. And so, James, once again, I want to thank you for joining us today. It's been very much a pleasure. Thanks. Well, it's been my pleasure. And I just want to plug everyone to go check out orphanedheart.org. That's right. Yeah. Orphanedheart.org and then also sntv.com. Is that right again? Well, it's sntradio.tv. Oh, that's right. Yeah. sntradio.tv. Okay. Like I said, it's being developed yeah. right now. So stay tuned. But the trade name will be SNTV. Right. And then there's also the BurkhartMediaGroup.com if you want to see more about James and the things that he does, if even his consulting services and whatnot. So from all of us at LCIDU, we thank you once again, James, for being here. And uh, we encourage all of our listeners to check out what James is doing in all of his various things that we've been talking about here. So until next time, we're very thankful for you listening. We'll see you.